Chapter 24 of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. The Towhees. Our towhees are ground birds. You seldom see them flying high or sitting on trees. Like the thrashers and thrushes, they must scratch for a living. Their feet are formed on purpose for their business. They are large and strong, the toes spreading. Their beaks are strong and stoutly made, adapted to turning over leaves and other woodland litter, including the straw and chaff in our farmyards. You will meet the spurred towhee in the foothills and the arroyos or in any of the retired country places. They love low undergrowth and shrubbery. If you happen to be out for a Saturday walk, you will hear a scratching in the brush or fallen boughs or behind wild grapevines or among the ferns of a canyon bank. The scratching is so loud and plain and continued, you might mistake it for that of one of your own bitty hens. You stop and listen and then move softly towards the spot. There is the towhee scratching with both feet for insects in the litter. The blackbird scratches like a hen, but the towhee makes a quick Hop scratch with both feet at once. Tohi doesn't mind your presence, provided you stand perfectly still, and you may find its nest and mate by observing the direction it takes when its beak is filled with food. But you need not expect to see it fly straight to its nests. Tohis, along with many other birds, have a way of flying in the opposite direction a few feet or yards, and then, turning a sharp corner, fly to the nest. Our garden brown towhees often deceived us in this way until we came to understand their little tricks. In late summer time, when the moisture has dried out of the hills and the canyons and oak pastures, the spurred towhees come to our grounds to scratch in the mulching under the trees. Our custom of irrigating and then mulching our trees in midsummer encourages insect life of many sorts, and this, in turn, invites the birds, which would never think of visiting us on any other account. We like to lie in a hammock beneath a fig tree whose branches droop to the ground. It is a specially good place from which to study the birds. One day last summer, we heard a scratching in the leaves nearby and knew by the vigorous sound that it came from a spurred towhee. We had not seen the bird in our grounds before, so we watched keeping perfectly still. The sound drew nearer, and then right beneath us appeared this towhee, the very bird we expected. 
Now, birds have a way of looking a strange object in the face without blinking, as if they would make sure of its nature. Spurred Tohi stared at us as if determined to look us out of countenance if we were living beings. But seeing we did not stir, it took our hammock and its contents for a fallen tree and remained near. It flew into the boughs of the fig tree within a few inches of us, so that we had our best opportunity to admire this beautiful bird. There is such a charm in being near a live bird when it is all animation. Its form suggests alertness and shy grace, and its eye. Oh, you should seek the haunts of wild birds and make yourself a tree or rock for just long enough to comprehend the beauty of a bird's eye. The brown tohi, or brown robin, as you sometimes call it, lives in our grounds the whole year. It is also found in the foothills and lowlands, just anywhere in all our land where there is anything to scratch or brush for cover. The tohis love our wood piles and the tree trimmings that are left for a while in the orchards. And they run about the doorsteps looking for the contents of the crumb pan, which we toss to them. They would come in and help themselves out of the cupboard with the children when they come home from school, if they were allowed. Tohis and sparrows wonder why people on this happy coast are bound to shut them out of their houses with those wire door and window screens. But we must have our screens, you know so long as houseflies claim a right to come in of cold evenings. So Tohi takes up its stand on the steps, and sometimes we brush the birds off suddenly when we open the door. The Tohi nests in our grounds anywhere from three or four feet in a shrub to ten or twenty feet in a tree. They begin their family affairs by the first week in March. The first intimation we have that nesting has begun is the sight of a brown bird running across the yard with a white rag in its beak. Often the rag chosen is too heavy to fly with and the bird drags it along by slow degrees. By hard work it is able to carry it to the nesting site where rags and twigs are placed alternately or all mixed up for the nest foundation. We do not know why tohis are so partial to white rags. They will not accept red or blue, nor any color save white. We thought it would be a good idea to make tohi build a 4th of July nest, so we furnished red, white, and blue strips of cotton cloth. She took all of the white ones and stood on the wheelbarrow asking for more, with her feathers all rumpled and her tail jerking. Then we thought we would outwit her by tying bits of the red and blue to the white rags. She took one or two to the nest, but declined the remainder. 
nor would she touch them even after we refused her any more white rags. We were glad, however, that we had coaxed her to use two or three of the colors, as even so little would give the celebration tone to the nest. When we looked to see what the effect would be, we were astonished at what she had done. That shrewd little towhee had tucked the red and blue out of sight inside the nest so that not a glint of either color appeared from without. Now this was a queer notion of hers, was it not? And proves that birds have an eye to color. We can account for the towhee's choice of white in only one way. The nests are built usually in thin shrubbery and are easily seen through the foliage. Light is white, never red and blue, as it shines in streaks or glints through the leaves. White rags in a nest are not noticed, since they are not different in tint from the rays of sunshine. It must be from a sense of self-protection that the bird chooses white. What other reason are you able to give? Make it your spring duty to observe the brown towhee at their nest work and think out the reason for things. Do not the towhee and the hummingbird and the song sparrow and many others work on the principle of making the nest to suit the color of its settings? We catch the towhees playing with the white rags we place in sheltered nooks for them the whole year round. We have had them to build almost entire nests of white. Once we stamped our name on ever so many bits of cloth and left them in the bird's way. What happened, you may guess. Towhees from all around made nests that belonged to us. The neighbors told us that their towhees had our names stuck in plain sight on different nests and wondered at the strange incident. We said nothing, but it was understood between us and the towhees. Once we induced a towhee to lay a shred of newspaper in her new nest with an advertisement of one of our bird books on it. We watched her with great satisfaction while she made it secure with straws and sticks. When she left the nest for more material, we slipped up to see the effect of our book review on the parlor table, as it were, of one of the very best birds it treated of. Imagine our surprise to find an advertisement of a certain kind of soap in plain sight and nothing else. It had not occurred to us to look on the opposite side of the paper before offering it to our little friend to line her nest with, and there it remained all summer, as if Tohi were purposely calling attention to soap instead of to our bird book. The Tohis are our especial pets, and we see to it that they have as much food as they want from our table. Though they do not sing, we are familiar with their call note or chirp and think it musical. They have a way of 
cracking their bills or grinding them together when on the ground, making a rattling sound not unlike that made by a person who was in the habit of grinding his teeth when asleep. End of chapter 24